Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Langston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Welcome to Legendary Performance Conversations on the Leave Your Mark podcast. I'm Scott Livingston, your host, and this new series that we're going to be doing from time to time brings together uh, numerous professionals in human performance to really discuss current topics in performance, not necessarily to deep dive on methodology, but really to look at philosophy of practice, belief systems, and how those belief systems have come to be, and to get some interactive discussion amongst those who are attending. On some cases, these will be uh, just me one-on-one with somebody as well. We uh, hope you enjoy them and keep listening to Leave Your Mark on the regular podcast that is released every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. And today is the first legendary performance conversation and what I hope will be a series of uh, conversations over the future dates with uh, different uh, performance practitioners from all over the globe. And today I'm honored to have uh, what I would c- uh, consider to be uh, maybe a, a who's who of guys who have really accomplished stuff in the performance world. Um, I'll just name the characters in the room. Dan Path is here, Matt Jordan, Duncan French, Stu McMillan, and Jer Shepard. And we hope to have Stephen Norris on the line in a little while, who's had a little bit of a catastrophe at home. I reached out to these guys to see if they would all come together. And, and uh, Matt Price. And Matt Price, my bad. Sorry, brother. That's a oh, bad start for I'll start. Bad start for My Scott. coffee cup's too small. Exactly. <laughs> and Matty Price, all the way from Los Angeles. So we've got a hugely <laughs> cool group of guys who are in the house who all represent all kinds of different angles of uh, professional practice and, and experience. Uh, I'm going to start this. Uh, I was hoping Steve would be on for this this part, but uh, I want to start it by, you know, uh, having Dan and, and a Steve Norris in the room. And I know Steve will be here or we'll listen to it later. You know, these guys have mentored a lot of the guys on this call. Mentorship has meant a lot to all of us in different ways. And we find ourselves uh, at this point in our careers mentoring uh, a lot of people. And I'd like to put it out to the group to sort of ask you guys how mentorship has touched you, um, how you embrace that responsibility now, and what sort of your key tenets are to being mentored and being a mentor. Maybe I can start with Dan and that and then sort of circulate across the table. So Dan, if you would do the honors, I would appreciate that. Well, uh, I'm kind of a product of mentors. So, you know, high school football coach, uh, Tom Telez at the University of Houston, where I was a grad student, uh, Victor Lopez, longtime coach from Puerto Rico, and on and on and on. Uh, so I wouldn't be where I'm at without mentorship. Uh, for me, what those guys did is they, they flattened the, uh, the learning curve, so to speak told me where to look and what to look for instead of going down rabbit holes. And um, at my age and stage of career, that's primarily what I do now is is mentoring. And um, I grew up on a farm. My dad was construction where you were a neo-generalist in both realms. And so I value networks and, and expertise. And that's what I try to do with mentorship is not so much uh, give people answers, but teach people how to find answers and solve complex problems. Um, so that's it in a nutshell. I like that nutshell. Stu, you've been mentored by Dan. So 
maybe talk about that experience and how that's transcended into your own responsibility in that. Yeah, I tell you what, Scotty, what, what Dan just said there um, frustrated the hell out of me for the first 10 or 15 years that of our, our relationship, <laughs> my relationship with Dan, because he wouldn't give you the answer of anything. You know, you would go up and I spent my formative years sort of trying to learn as much as I could from Dan. And when you're young and curious, you, you know, you ask fairly direct questions and you're kind of used to getting fairly direct answers of which Dan would never give. So it was, um, it took me a while to understand why he was doing that. You know, he's, he's the epitome of teaching someone how to fish rather than giving them a fish. And I think that's something that I've carried through my career and through sort of the opportunities I've had, you know, over the course of the last sort of, you know, five, 10 years myself, mentoring younger coaches is I try to always remember sort of how Dan mentored me in my formative years. You know, so I, I try to find opportunities to encourage whoever we're speaking to, whether that's a direct one-to-one mentorship or whether it's through some of our programs at Altus is just, you know, we don't give the answers. We just sort of encourage younger coaches to go and find their own answers and just sort of help guide that path for them. When I see the guys in the room and I look uh, at Duncan as an example, who's now kind of crafting um, an institute and, and has had lots of experience uh, at Notre Dame and before that in all kinds of variable places, how does, how does your art of mentoring your, your staff and team um, differ from that or uh, ascribe to that viewpoint that you just heard? We can't grow this podcast without you, the listener, or the support of our amazing sponsors. This year, we are pleased to announce the support of Matrix Fitness, one of the largest commercial fitness brands in the world and one of the fastest growing in the industry. Matrix Fitness produces training tools that focus on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike. With equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner, Matrix is partnered with some of the top sporting organizations in the world. As a global brand with local support, the Matrix Performance Team assists their customers with solutions, research, and training protocols so coaches can focus on what they do best, help athletes prepare for competition, and getting better. For more information, please request their sports performance package from their Canadian Director of Education, Annie.Vilnive at matrixfitness.com and mention the Leave Your Mark podcast to qualify for your 20% discount. Yeah, I mean, th- th- at the end of the day, if, you, if you're mentoring a staff of people, you've got to have consideration around all the different personalities and characters, and I think that's key. Um, you know, from the mentee perspective, I always, I always like to think that you, it's valuable to have more than one mentor. We can't put our eggs in one basket. Do you know what I mean? And this is no disrespect to anybody on the call, me included. Um, but just having different perspectives is key when you're in the process of learning as a mentee. Um, and being able to, you know, navigate your own thoughts through the advice of, of you know, the experts and, the, and those with more experience, I think is, is critical. And uh, I always try to keep that in consideration with, with my team and, and the staff that I work with from a, a mentoring perspective is, is really trying to connect, trying to understand what it is that each, each individual is trying to seek out. Um, and, and I'm a, you know, I, I echo Dan and Stu in terms of, you know, failure is almost part of the process. And I think, um, you, you know, we're not setting people up to fail, but it's a, it's a process of investigation and exploration. Um, and it's a challenge. And I think that's what good mentorship does is it places, uh, places people in a, in a position of challenge and thought provoking, um, activity. And that, that's how we all grow. And I think, um, you know, certainly with, with my staff where I've got a, a broad spectrum of, you know, very experienced um, practitioners who have been to multiple Olympic Games uh, and work with, you know, athletes from, from very high levels through to, you know, new guys coming into the, into the industry. I think you've got to pitch a, a mentorship process or an educational learning process. You know, obviously, uh, you know, at the, at the level that they need, but it, it's an exploration and um, you've got to give them an opportunity to, to find that wisdom uh, themselves. What's um, I love that, and I want to ask uh, Matt Price this, and then also maybe Matt Jordan, and open it up to anybody else who wants to comment. Like I, I don't want to just keep pitching questions to people, but when you look at the responsibility of the mentee, what's the what's the if you could describe what you think the attitude of somebody should be going into an opportunity to mentor under somebody, what what would you what would be your 
tenants of that? What would be your advice to them walking in and working under Dan Paff or under yourself or under Jer Shepherd or something? What should they be thinking about? Well, it's a little interesting for me, Scotty, because I'm I'm probably the youngest guy on the call here and and probably have mentored under most of you at some level or at some point. But and I'm kind of at the the front front side of uh I guess being the mentor part of my career and now having a small staff to to lead and um kind of learning about the types of people that walk through your door that interview for jobs. Um I think I'm right on the cusp of not being a millennial. So I still remember the days pre-internet and, and that type of a world that we lived in where you had to physically seek people out. And and so what we're seeing now is there's a lot of people here who are used to sort of being spoon-fed information that stuff's right at their fingertips. And and uh, kind of going back to what, what Dan touched on is um, I, I don't know if if the generation I'm dealing with is is that comfortable with having to seek out and work for information. Um, but what I like to see is people that are curious, um, that, that want to find answers, uh, that, that want to kind of get into the trenches, get their hands dirty, mess some things up, um, and play a little bit. And, and I think that that process of self-discovery is where some of the real gems come from. And with my own group, I'm looking for competitive advantage. So I'm looking for things that are new and novel that might that might move the needle for our program in a in a real positive direction. And and I think that's something looking for uh, you know as a characteristic in, in the groups and the guys that I work with is is that that sort of a, a personality trait or a characteristic is that curiosity and, and, and willingness to explore and make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Does anybody else have any thoughts on on how a mentee should walk in from from a? Yeah, Scotty, it's it's Matt yeah. here. I'll jump in yeah. on that. Um, yeah. I think Matt Jordan. Um, I think that um, I'm going to speak from my own perspective initially here, but I uh, I found myself after the Vancouver Olympics in a real. Uh, rut uh, professionally. I wasn't exactly exactly sure what direction I was going to head, and I think one of the things that I was missing at the time was was that, and, and this is obviously in hindsight, but one of the things I was missing in hindsight was mentorship. And I think that what what I would what I would encourage, and again, this is from my experience, but what I would encourage mentees to do is to not only think about. Uh, their mentor in terms of their knowledge base and what they've what they've given to the profession uh, in terms of their their skill set knowledge what have you but you really got to pick people as well that you you like who they are as people uh, one of the things that you'll realize is that through mentorship you actually start to uh, take on a lot of the traits of the person that you're 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 working under you absorb you absorb more than you think and. Um, just like, you know, how many of us wake up one day and we blurt out something to our kids and we, we say to ourselves, Oh my God, I'm selling my dad there. Um, that can be both good and bad. Right. I mean, in, in the, in the good sense, you're like, yeah, I sounded like my dad there. I really value that. Or, or maybe on the other hand, you say something that you, you reflect back. You're like, yeah, I don't, I didn't like that so much in my, in my upbringing. Um, so very similarly, I would just, I would just say that, the <clears throat> the role of the of the mentee is you're, you you know don't just pick people that you think they're cool you got you think that they've you know got got the you know the the knowledge that you're looking to grab really ask yourself is that the person I want to be and I've had conversations with some of our staff about people they're going to potentially bring in as their as their mentors and I always ask them that question like do you like who they are and do you do you like do you want to be that person uh, do you like do you like how they treat people? Do you like how they, their outlook on life? And if you start going down the checkboxes and you say to yourself, uh, you know what? No, not really, actually. No, I don't like how that person treats people. I don't like how they, I don't like their outlook on life. I don't like how they cope with stress. I don't like how they show up to, to work every day or whatever it might be. Then maybe rather than them being your mentor, maybe legitimately what you want is to grab some knowledge from them and to use it for your own purposes. So uh, to me, it's a it's a selection. Uh, being fully aware that you want to, you know, you're you're going to be you're going to be taking on much more than just that knowledge base. You're going to be taking on all aspects of the person. I think it goes back to why, you know, what what Dan and Stu were talking about. Like mentorship isn't isn't just giving uh, nuggets of knowledge, although that probably happens occasionally. I think mentorship is 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 very much about allowing uh, a flow of information back and forth. So uh, there's, that's a couple of thoughts I have on it. 
awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where, uh, Scott, if I can just jump in, what Matt yeah. Price said, it really, you know, curiosity is key to all of that. It, and I don't think it's just just for the mentee either. I think the the the, the skill set that you see in the best mentees are also the skill sets that you see in the best mentors, right? And I think that just sort of travels up the line. Um, you know, and, and I think I'd, I'd be interested in what you guys think about younger coaches or people coming into this industry now and there, you know, Matt sort of alluded to this quickly about what seems to be the declining level of curiosity and people kind of just want answers these days. And, and secondly, I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about a very hierarchical mentorship, mentor, mentee system where, you know, I didn't, you know, yes, Dan and, and Steve Norris, and it's a real shame that he's not here because those are kind of my two primary mentors through the formative years of my own sort of development. But neither one of those guys were around a ton. You know, I was in a different country than Dan and Steve, you know, works 300-hour uh, weeks. So we didn't get to see Steve a lot either. Um, my mentors became my colleagues, you know, Matt and Scotty and Matt Price and, and other guys like that in Calgary who, you know, a mentor basically just means a trusted, experienced advisor, right? And some of us were more experienced in, in different areas of what we were learning than others. And we would lean on our colleagues to learn those different things. And I think we had, you know, a very uh, atypical um, sort of community there in Calgary where we all learn from each other. And I think that's very valuable as well and something we don't necessarily talk about um, enough. So a bit, a bit of a ramble there, but I was curious as to other people's thoughts on, I guess, the curiosity aspect and whether we feel that that is reducing uh, through the ages. Mm. Anybody got a comment on that or want to reach out on that? I don't, yeah, I I mean, don't know if... Um, just just to quickly follow up on Stu, I think it's a, it's an excellent point, but it's probably because what we're looking for in a mentee is is something that we we already are. It's familiar to us, but I would just kind of echo that. I, I think having someone to mentor is I, I know something I want to do is I want to learn from them as well, and it's, maybe that's because of my my time in Calgary around guys in that environment. Stu sort of talked about is. I'm familiar with the collaborative group and a group that's open and honest and willing to share. And I think that's maybe why I'm, I, I like having staff members now that, that have something to offer and, and whether it's hierarchical uh, to, to feed up the chain, down the chain, left or right. But it, it definitely, um, that sort of resonates with, with the way Stu put it. I, I look at it personally from, you know, the approach of, not lo always looking at your role as a mentor as, and to your, you sort of dialogued about that Stu, but this kind of hierarchical reality is I'm, I'm always learning and this person has come to me and wants to learn. I need to take a more vulnerable position in the sense that I am not the authoritarian in the room. I'm providing you my thoughts. And I think if you can come at any subject matter with, this is what I know or understand this is why I feel I know or understand it. And this is what it, what if I'm wrong? I can understand, you know, I have to always ask myself that question. What if I'm wrong? And I have to be comfortable with the mentee asking me, what if I'm wrong? And I think sometimes we've, we take this role of, you know, this is the way it is. And the young person kind of just takes it like that. I like what Dan said at the beginning about, you know, asking the person to ask the questions and be curious. So I think the way you come at it and carry yourself is what drives the curiosity and not providing the answers all the time, which is what you guys spoke about at the beginning. So, Any other thoughts on that subject at all? Yeah, I have one. I think at the end of the day, Curious people are trying to build better file systems. We chunk information, see patterns, trends, with the ultimate goal is improving efficiency of output as leaders, coaches, teachers, what have you, therapists. And so to me, <clears throat> it's layers of people interacting to build better file systems. And as Stu said, that, that's a two-way street. If we're going to build better chunking processes, then it has to be 
multifaceted or horizontal. You know, we can't have silos or, or that process breaks down. To pivot off this subject matter, I'm interested on, in the group's sort of viewpoint on, call it the trajectory or pathway. And I had an interesting uh, interview with David Epstein, who wrote the book Range that was recommended to me or referred to me through Stu, which I totally appreciate. And um, we talked a lot about this idea of horizontal development versus vertical development, you know, you becoming a very specialist oriented. So we can take sort of two two areas of thought here, the athletic development process and that horizontal capacity and capability or the vertical you know, capacity capability, or we can also talk about us as practitioners. And I'm just curious when you guys look at that subject matter, first of all, do you think, you know, broadening your horizons of, of knowledge across various spectrums is of value, especially in this, in this world? Um, where do you think being more vertically aligned is, is important? And then also in the same spectrum, when you're developing an athlete, how important is that horizontal capacity versus that vertical capacity? So anybody want to jump in on that? Uh, it's Scotty. It's Matt Jordan yeah. here. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that, I think that, you know, um, I think that, I think that coaches need, need to be able to go horizontal. I think that's a, that's a fundamental, that's a fundamental skill for a coach um, or anybody that, you know, in, in our profession, um, certainly the problem with horizontal is that you never really, you know, to, to become, to generate, you know, let's just say that that specific expertise, you know, does require these deep dives. And you'll see it a lot of times in senior scientists, you know, when you talk to somebody who are maybe they're, they're in the twilight of their, of their scientific career, you'll notice that, you know, they're, they're very, uh, comfortable standing in front of a room and saying, you know, uh, you know, I have no idea about that stuff, you know, and I mean, I'm sure on these topics too, you, you know, you know, just by life experience, they could probably comment and have lots of insights, but you just start to see that there becomes this awareness of what true knowledge is. So they, they sort of tend to, to, to back out of, of conversations that, you know, don't demonstrate that true deep understanding of, of whatever material it is. Um, I always, uh, got, you always got great advice from people about, you know, candidacy exams or defense exams for your graduate studies that the most important thing that you have to be able to do is to understand when to say, I don't know, as in, you know, I, like if you, people who are bullshitters and who, sorry, you might have to bleep that out, Scotty. Um, but you know, people who are, people who are bullshitters and who are going to be up there, you know, spewing, spewing stuff out. I mean, that's typically the only time that people fail those scenarios. If you're, if you are doing that. Um, and, you know, I think, I think if you, if you, if you recognize that as being, you know, um, part of maybe de developing deep knowledge in a specific area, um, I think that, uh, the reality for, for, for coaches is that, that, you know, we, we wouldn't survive if, if that's, if that was the way we were, uh, interacting with an athlete because, at, you know, performance connecting with another human and helping them on a journey requires, um, a 360 degree appraisal of that, of that individual. And, 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 and you can't just be sort of, uh, that specialized. So, you know, I still come back to it. If I, you know, again, reflecting on my own, you know, path is that I've had, I've had phases of career where it was very much broad development, horizontal development and phases of career where it was deep dives. And, um, certainly when you're doing the one, the other is suffering a lot and you feel it. Like when you come back, I noticed it after <clears throat> coming back to the gym after well, it was only a year and a half where I actually physically wasn't coaching anybody. Um, mostly focused on research and other, and other endeavors, you know, coming back onto the floor, uh, I noticed uh, a lack of, 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 of agility or, or, or responsiveness for me to be able to adapt to the situations I was in. So I think there, I think there are, you know, two skills. Um, and I think that they, you need to be sort of conscious and keeping both up at a level to be able to have impact, um, especially, especially if you're a coach. Mm. Our sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com, is going virtual. 
The reconditioning level one has been turned into a complete online experience, and all the time-tested systems and processes are now available to you in 20 hours of online video modules and two virtual Zoom sessions. Reconditioning is a very powerful language and system of practice that brings the worlds of therapy and performance together in one complete package and helps you deliver the most powerful injury and performance solutions to your clients. Check them out at reconditioninghq.com today and join the reconditioning revolution. I'd like to pivot on Jer for a second. I'd like to get you in here, Jer. And you went over to Australia and worked with surfing, which for a Canadian boy from Manitoba is probably counterintuitive. So in order to be sort of horizontally capable tell me about you know how you walk you went over there and then found yourself in a this completely different space and were able to adapt and 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 contribute well, it didn't feel too foreign uh to me in the in the surfing world because i had uh i'd started surfing in in 1994 i think um and so the the, the sport wasn't unfamiliar to me, in terms of the, the this kind of concept of the horizontal versus the vertical, when you move from those uh, those roles where you're really expected to be deep um, and and very vertical, um, like we often are at the early part of career, we're given a certain set of responsibilities. I sort of I think of it, about it philosophically, Scotty, is is kind of like well, coaching is a is a context of leadership. And so if you're looking at leadership, a lot of people think about hierarchy, which is what, you know, Stu brought up earlier. And I really resonated with that point. And it makes me think, well, what is good hierarchy and what is bad hierarchy? Because we, know, we all know what bad hierarchy feels like, what it looks like. But if we define where it can go wrong, then we are more likely to push it towards where it goes right. And I think that when we think about this personal development or this team that we might be working with, there's going to be people who have leadership depth and that's the, that's the vertical. So that might be like your ankle surgeon. That's what they do. They just do ankle surgery and they're very deep and they're the world expert in that. But that means that they're responsible and deeply responsible for one very important aspect. But then the closer you are to the athlete in the daily training environment, you have to become a a very competent generalist. So you might not be an expert. You don't have that vertical leadership, but you have this, horizontal leadership you're not necessarily an expert but you're an advocate so you need to know because your accountabilities are huge and that's what I noticed moving from an institute academy environment was that I was put in a position where I had a lot more leadership breadth I was accountable for a lot more so the uh, contextual leadership model that we put in place was to develop people in areas of leadership depth or the vertical that they wanted to. And we put that in their, their aspiration plans for say four, eight years. And then we clearly defined what people were accountable for. And some people had almost no accountability, but a lot of responsibility. And some people had very few deep responsibilities, but, but this breadth of accountability. And I find that that kind of helps you on a personal level understand where you, you know, what skills you can be using and where you should be handing that off to someone else. And then it also helps you navigate your career. Um, is this the time for me to go deep in this area? Or is it better if I actually go a little broader and, and go, go to the left on this one or go to the right? I feel like I bias towards, in some sense, uh, the horizontal sort of acumen. And I like the, when I look at you know, what's going, I shouldn't say I like, but when I look at what's going on right now in the world that we're in the middle of, um, you sort of see this situation where those who have become finite in their sort of proposition of what they do are sort of struggling with, you know, where they go, how they pivot. And so in some sense, this broadening of your capacities is, uh, to me, creates some level of resilience and ability to pivot or move in a different direction, whether that's physical um, or whether that's, uh, you, know, you know, technical, tactical, so to speak, uh, in what we do professionally. Um, and so, the, I, you know, I kind of encourage that. But I also think, as Matt said before, you have to have, you're going to have moments of verticality where you have to dive in. Otherwise, you're not going to really have 
much professed understanding of any particular subject matter. So, um, you know, I think that's huge. I think it's a, a little bit like the uh, um, philosophical discussion on work-life balance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's where you're at on the spectrum. There's periods of your career or the year where you're a specialist, and then there's other periods where you're a generalist. I think it's a lot like focus. You know, really great athletes can surf that four square grid of narrow, broad, internal, external, and be in the right part of that grid at the right moment. And I, I think that's the, the art of great leadership is can you surf those squares and be where you need to be at the right time? Nice. Any other thoughts on that subject? I mean, I, 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 I think it, it segues off the, the previous discussion around mentorship. And, you know, it, it, these are all common themes that we're talking about. I think of an egg timer, you know, and, and, and going from that broad spectrum and, and really focusing someone down. And I, I often think of, you know, the, the coaching journey, the coaching pathway and counter and counter and to counter the process of being a great generalist or a great specialist. I think there's times when young coaches in particular can be in that broad space and, and clutching at things that are potentially not, you know, not advantageous to their development. And I think, you know, to go back to the mentorship process or the leadership process, you have to direct them into that narrow vertical focus at times. Um, otherwise they go down a rabbit hole, you know, and we, we can all do that, you know, and I think if you, if, if you look at the, the pathway of development, we've got to go consistently from broad to narrow, broad to narrow, broad to narrow. And um, it, it, it's directing it through that egg timer as I think like really driving someone into a very detailed space so they can become really super proficient at it, demonstrate expertise, and then we can open up the portfolio again. And I think certainly for uh, for young coaches, and if you take that into a context of athletic development, that's what we try to do with our athletes, right? It's it's general skills, it's it's general technical competency, and then becoming specialized. And then when someone is specialized in particular technical areas or physical capabilities, then we open it up again and challenge them with a new new overload, a new stimulus. And I think you know I constantly think of this egg timer process where we're moving from broad to narrow to broad to narrow whether that's through a career um, as you continue to grow and develop um, or whether it's in athletic development, you know, we, we're constantly looking at the right time because uh, I think the timing of when to narrow and when to focus is, is also a key factor. And, and um, if, if you narrow down on the wrong thing um, at the wrong time in your career or the wrong time in your athletic development, that can be really counterproductive. So, you know, I think this is where multidisciplinary teams of support and um, leaning on many different minds is, is a critical part of that process. Mm, like that. Do you have any thoughts on that, Stu? Yeah, I think what we're talking about there is two different things, right? So we're, we're talking, number one, about, like Duncan just said, multidisciplinary teams and support teams. And, and number two, the development, um, sort of our, the development of our own personal <laughs> development over the course of our careers. Um, and we kind of oscillate back and forth between being a generalist and a, and a specialist over the course of time. Um, and I think the, the people who end up being the leaders in, in any industry are those ones that can oscillate the best and become not only the best generalist, but have that domain expertise and maybe even a number of different disciplines over the course of that, of, of their development. So, but within a, a multidisciplinary team and a support team, what I found over the course of my career, and I think this is getting better, I don't know, I'd be curious to what your guys' thoughts are. But there was a time when, like Matt said, the domain experts just remained in their domain and, you know, this is enough. I'm going to stay in my silo. I've got expertise in the silo and I'll have a conversation with the experts in these other silos and we'll come together for the betterment of the team or the athlete or whatever that we're working with. The problem that, that we saw in that is when you don't have that sort of generalist understanding, that context of what others are doing within the team, we can't have effective conversations. So it becomes more and more important for those, even those domain experts to as uh, I think um, Duncan again was saying, is to step back and understand where they fit within the confines of the entire team. Where is the context here? So even with, with you know, and, and it's, this, this goes back to 20 years ago when the start of, you know, uh, performance enhancement teams in Canada and, and what I think, you know, Steve and, 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 and Doc Smith and, and others like them were leading in the, in the country at the time is I don't feel that it was real 
effective to begin with because I think that's what it was. You would come together for these, you know, weekly staff meetings or these PET meetings or what became the IST meetings. And everybody essentially would just, you know, um, talk about the team or the athlete from their own individual perspective. And we'd go around the room and everyone would, would have that same discussion from their perspective. And it ended up being a little bit more of a defensive mechanism than it was a, a truly collaborative one. Because I believe that we just were so, um, you know, so just it, it, for us, it was more important to sort of just fight our corner and, and sort of justify our role on the team than it was for the, the ultimate health and performance of the athlete in front of us. So I think that's, that's one thing I think we've done a lot better job of over the last 15, 20 years is understood the importance of stepping back, understanding context, um, because it comes down to at the end of the day is can we communicate effectively together? We can't communicate if we're all speaking different languages. If you are a domain expert in, in exercise physiology and that's all you know, you can't have a conversation with somebody who's the domain expert in strength and conditioning or nutrition. It's just it's, it's, we're speaking different languages there. So it's, it's what I've seen over the course of time where this has become a much more effective process is where we've stepped back and we're trying to do a better job of learning from other people within that team so to understand the context and have ultimately, hopefully, better conversations. What's in your ZNA? That is a question our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, has for you. Are you interested in increasing your performance output, helping the environment, and doing less laundry? If you answered yes to any of those questions, please go to ZenkaiSports.com and check out the latest innovation in performance apparel. Zenkai uses cutting-edge technology that repels sweat and other liquids. Zenkai apparel lets the sweat stay on your skin, keeping your cooler for longer and repelling odor-causing bacteria. This means Zenkai apparel can be worn 10, 15, 20 times with no washing required. I would highly recommend trying this amazing product, and I've teamed up with them so you can get 20% off your entire order. Just head over to ZenkaiSports.com and use the discount code LYM20. Yeah, I um, I just wanted to say that I resonate with that point, and I often think of it as, um, and this might be overly simplistic, but oftentimes when this is going wrong, as you know, Stu was talking about some of the early days and, and people trying to figure out that space, I often just look at it really simplistically like it's, are people confusing their method and thinking that's their purpose? So if they're a domain expert in physiology or nutrition and you're coming there, it's like, no, no, what's the mission? The mission's to make this person jump higher or the mission's to win more volleyball games or the mission is to get more points in a snowboard contest more consistently than anyone else. Than anyone else. So it doesn't matter what you did before you came here. Everyone's in the business of snowboard performance. That's, that's the purpose. And this is what that looks like. And these are our shared values. And these are the behaviors that match those values. Do you feel like, can you be a part of that? And then can you understand that your method is, is it serves the master and that master is the purpose. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much aligned with both of what you guys talked about. I think that there's the, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I opened up this vertical horizontal sort of conversation is the, in the in, we talk about empathy a lot and understanding somebody across from us, but I think in order to be empathic, you have to put your feet in their shoes from time to time and understand what it is that they're they're doing. Um, and you know that doesn't mean you you shouldn't be the expert in what it is you know, but you have to cross pollinate and understand have a working knowledge and understanding of what each each domain does and, and how they operate so that you can sort of come at the problems and, and the solutions from those multi-domain perspectives and respect where you need to pick up your game and where you need to take a, a secondary role or a tertiary role. I think that's really important. Um, and, uh, and I think that comes from broadening, you know, so that's, and I think it comes from, you know, to, I, I like your, um, your sand, uh, what did you call it again? The dunk, the, the an egg timer. Egg timer. <laughs> I think that's a good analogy. It's the British. It's yeah. the British name for it too. I don't know how they call it there, but <laughs> the sands of time, the days of our lives. I think that's the one from. But <laughs> I think that's huge. Any other thoughts before we move to another topic? So, 
I wanted to kind of pivot off of that into, you know, cultivating, um, uh, you know, Maddie Price wrote this in, a, in an email to me, just cultivate, cultivating high performance environments. And I had asked this question actually to both Stu and Dan and my individual uh, podcast with them. And just about the idea of the difference between Spartan and what I would call spectacular environments. Um, and, you know, we got a few guys in the room who are, you know, working now in, in spectacular environments. Dunk has built a couple and obviously Stu and Dan have created Altus and Maddie works in his, his wonderful facility in LA and Mr. Jordan is playing in the wind sport environment. So these are, you know, and I know Jer has a great facility up in Whistler. So, you know, these are relatively spectacular environments. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious when we look at sometimes where these hot houses of performance occur, oftentimes it's in sort of Spartan environments. And now we see ourselves faced again with this situation that we're in right now where a lot of our athletes are having to <laughs> train in their basements or, uh, you know, in some corner of the woods, so to speak. So any thoughts on, you know, what generates true performance and success and where the, the spectacular environment really plays a role and where the Spartan environment plays a role? Dunk, I see you touching your thing and touch that. <laughs> I'm twitching. <laughs> no, twitching, I mean, twitching. yeah, I, I, I can, I can kick this off, and I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts because, yeah, we, you know, we, we have a, you know, a world class facility, and, um, you know, it's, 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 it's beneficial. It helps us, but I don't say that that's the answer to, to high performance. And, um, you know, I would never say that. I don't think. Um, you know, we've got world champions that have worked out in their garage their whole life, you know, and um, there's something about, um, you know, consistency and dedication and, and belief in the process that I think is intrinsic to an athlete um, and also intrinsic to us as coaches as well. Um, you know, I, I like everyone on the call, I'm sure there's been times when I've been scratching around for a medicine ball or, or a skipping rope because, you know, resources are, are thin. And I think, um, you know, at, at, at the UFC, we there's not there's not a day that goes by when we uh, we don't think we're blessed with what we what we have access to, and it helps the process. But it it's not the it's not the cause and the be all and the end all of success. And I think um, you know that that's really important for for me to to message to our staff and our staff to believe in because um, you know the, the the Spartan versus the spectacular, I think, is is a great way of putting it. Um, but I think it's it's that commitment, it's that belief, it's that dedication to a, a fundamental process that's built on good principles. Um, and as coaches, we should be creative, we should be innovative, innovators. And I think um, no, that doesn't necessarily necessarily mean access to multi-million dollar uh, pieces of equipment and, and and facilities. It's about how we can look at biological and physiological principles um, and challenge them and overload them in a consistent process. Um, and do that in a fashion that is uh, that, that gets buy-in and commitment from an athlete or an athlete group of athletes. And I think, um, yeah, it's it, 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 there's a, there's a time and a place where I I you know I would I would like to take our athletes out of that that space um, and and make it raw and make it gritty again. You know, because I think that that separates the wheat from the chaff sometimes. And I, I, I'm a true believer in you know it's you're not a product of your um, you know, of the environment, your products of the process. And, and that's key to what we, what we believe in. I, I just want to follow up to, to that with you, Duncan. And then if anybody else wants to comment, but I'm just curious and intuitively, do you think that it's um, easier or better? I don't like the word easier, but um, more efficient to have experienced the Spartan to begin with. And then you appreciate the spectacular versus being sort of, growing up in the spectacular and then, and, and then perhaps yeah, not think, recognizing the value proposition of what you have around you. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'll, I'll be, I'll hold my hands up straight away right now. I'll say, listen, I, I would, I love where I work and you know, if I have that opportunity, I'm going to take that every single time. I think, um, because from a multidisciplinary perspective and what it, what it drives, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in environment shapes behavior rather than the other way around. So, um, you know, you can create subconscious environments that, that 
you know, you can create environments that create subconscious behaviors and therefore facilitate the process. Um, but what I would say is, yes, you know, even when I was in the English Premier League, there was times when all the money went on the players. And like I say, you're scratching around for what I would call fundamental pieces of equipment and you get creative pretty quickly. So I think having experienced and, and gone through, you know, working out in garages, doing park workouts and boot camps and taking your athletes out in the woods or in the mountains, you know, that, that's, that's a fundamental piece of, of the, the learning process. So I think it, it is advantageous. Uh, and I also would advocate people doing it consistently throughout a coaching and coaching careers is changing the environment, challenging your athletes, challenging yourself to be, to be creative as a coach. That, that, that's fundamental. At the most recent 2019 World Junior Hockey Championships in the Czech Republic, Team Canada's number one goalie was Nico Dawes. Nico is a great story. Heading into his NHL draft year, he was not on the Canadian team's radar. In the summer of 2019, Nico trained hard with the support of the great team at Shield Performance in Burlington, Ontario. He built up his body armor and lost 25 pounds. He came to the Guelph Storm camp in the best shape of his life and earned the number one spot for the defending OHL champs. And then earned his spot with Team Canada on one of the hockey world's largest stages. One of the tools used by Nico was the Matrix Fitness S-Force Performance Trainer. The S-Force is a no-impact, weight-bearing training tool that can improve fast-twitch muscle fiber, increase explosive performance, and support many conditioning objectives. Matrix Fitness produces training tools that focus on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike. For more information, please request the Matrix Fitness Sports Performance Package from their Canadian Director of Education, Annie.Villeneuve, at matrixfitness.com. And mention the Leave Your Mark podcast to qualify for your 20% discount. Yeah. Hey, Scotty. It's Matt Jordan again here. Yeah. Um, yeah no, absolutely. Like, I, 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 uh, several years ago, I wrote a blog post on my, uh, on my website and I, and I brought up this notion of the discomfort quotient. Um, and the discomfort quotient, the discomfort quotient was uh, this idea that regardless of where your environment was, that you're, you're realizing that the pursuit of athletic excellence is never, it's not easy, right? Like I, I often say, you never, I've never heard an Olympic athlete who stood on top of the podium and said, man, that was easy. That was like the smoothest ride I've ever had. Most times when you hear them reflecting over their career, they reflect on their team, they reflect on the hardships, they reflect on the grit that they had to show across the journey. And I think that maybe what, what we're alluding to a little bit here, Scotty, is that, you know, your environment, be that Spartan or spectacular, um, doesn't, uh, doesn't prepare athletes for the realities of, 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 of what it takes to be the best in the world. And, um, and maybe we might take a, take a leap here to say that if you're in a, in a spectacular environment, that it might even be more challenging to create discomfort in, in the training process. And, um, you know, I think, I think that's one of the things that I, um, reflect on a lot is that many of our spectacular environments and, uh, 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 uh beautiful training facilities, maybe, maybe make that process a little more comfortable than, than we really, than we really should make it. Um, I was talking with one of my athletes who was, um, in the 2020, 2010 era into the Vancouver Olympic winter games, he was sort of a development level athlete. And he came into this era of complete, like, um, it was luxury, right. You know, team chefs and, you know, nobody, there, there was nothing that was really, uh, everyone got what they needed and then some, and he reflected back at that time. And he said to me, uh, in the post 2010 era, he was like, you know, it was really challenging because we began to learn that this is what high performance sport was about. Like that you got a chef, you got massages, massages whenever you wanted, your manual therapist was there at the drop dime to help you out, you know? And he's like, it just, you know, not that it made, made, and I don't want to put words in his mouth. It wasn't that it made him soft, but it, but in some ways that's sort of what he was saying. It kind of made it, made the team soft. It made that next generation soft. And um, I think that reflecting on uh, a home games that we had here in, in Canada and a very successful games for the for, for Canada as well, and and sort of seeing what happened to many of our sports after that, you know, it it got me back to this idea that you know even it doesn't matter whether you're in a Spartan environment or you're in a spectacular environment, you have to be building in discomfort into the process. And if you're there as your job is to remove discomfort and make it easy 
the reality is that that's not going to be um, uh, a path to, to success, especially on the on the Olympic side of things. Now, um, this is where I'll, I'll maybe maybe ask Matt Price about this because when I've dropped into professional professional teams, you know, where you've got these highly, highly skilled athletes that are truly these, these unicorns when it comes to human performance, um, you know, you might have a very different scenario there where, you know, uh, the job of the strength coach isn't necessarily to be building the character and the discomfort, but, you know, maybe that falls on the head coach's job. Um, but, but I would, I would sort of maybe, um, a, a introduce the idea of the importance of discomfort, but then B ask the question to some of the people on the call here, like how do you contend with that in, in an environment where you know you need it, but it might be uh, your job if you bring it in too much and too soon, too hard, so to speak. Yeah. Matt, do you want to comment on that? And then uh, I can see Stu's chomping at the bit to talk about something. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> Uh, Matt Jordan's been around uh, a lot of different environments and, and been able to uh, probably form a pretty good opinion on this. And, and I think he's, you know, he's hit it on the head to a degree, um, you know, in, in, in a role like mine, uh, you know, we deal with, with a lot of restrictions in the off season. So when I'm expected to do my, my best work, there's, there's a, a number of restrictions on what we can actually do with our players due to uh, collective bargaining agreements and then we get into the to the the, comp, the competitive schedule, and it's all about playing and competing. And and so, you know, there's there's uh, I think there's limited room to really have huge impact. Um, maybe maybe limited compared to some of the other environments I've been around, but it doesn't say it doesn't necessarily preclude you from from having a significant impact. But you know, the way Matt touched on it was, you know, he's right. We I can't rattle a player's cage. I can't, I can't get in his face about something and I, and I can't necessarily um, create that Spartan vibe if that's going to throw him off his game for that night. And it's probably like, you know, in Duncan's case, I'm not sure exactly how it works there, but it's, it's probably not in our best interest to shake someone's cage just before a competition because we have some sort of agenda. Um, but uh, yeah, it's there'll be it's consequences. Certainly... If you do. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't <laughs> want to mess with your guys. Um, I might mess with Stu's guys. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Stewie, did you have something you want to say? Are you good? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Um, and I know I know you don't mean it quite this way, but I think the the Spartan spectacular is a little bit of a false dichotomy, anyway. Um, as, as we know, there's probably with anything that that involves any information, there's a um, a bit of an inverted U, and a, and, a, and a where you know more information isn't necessarily better, and less information isn't necessarily better. There's somewhere in the middle, and that little that middle point is a little bit different for every person, every culture, every environment, every coach, every athlete, and so on. Um, and there's definitely a less is more effect, as, as um, Matt was alluding to, and I think it's just about understanding your own environment, your own culture, your own athlete group, and finding out where that peak of that inverted U is, and then just challenging them just a little bit more than that, essentially. So it's, um, it's uh, you know, like I said, I, think, I, think, I don't think it's quite as simple as providing a Spartan environment or a spectacular environment. It's understanding your community the best to, to set it up in a way that, really challenges them in that midpoint somewhere. Hmm. Anybody, any other comments on that? So, yeah, Matt, you look like you're... Well, so I think it depends too a little bit on, you know, in the pro environment, some of these uh, environments, for example, you've, you've been to my facility, you know, those are, those are the easy things to spend money on and these glossy facilities, uh, you know, with with respect to it's almost an amenity, right? We want the players to feel comfortable. It's got to look a certain way. It's got to feel a certain way. And, you know, we're, we're parading free agents through the facility. And we want to we want to show these things off. And so, you know, um, while it would be nice to have a, a maybe a truer environment where there's a, a nice balance between this, this Spartan and spectacular kind of a physical space you know i'd love to have a brick wall in my gym somewhere but unfortunately it's all glass and steel um sometimes that's just dictated by again sort of the you know the, the, the bigger picture which is it's it maybe not 
priority one to make it the, the, the best training facility per se, but it's, it's a bit of an amenity and a, and a showpiece. I, can I just follow up on yeah, that? Yeah, I'm sure. Go ahead. Just, just from my experiences, obviously, um, you know, I don't know if there's another sport outside of combat sports that has kind of the granular level to what, what we do. Do you know what I mean? So um, it's a real uh, cognizant kind of thought process of mine working with fighters, which is the most granular level form of athleticism um, and can happen in a street, in a bar, in an arena, you know, wherever you want. Um, come into the Performance Institute, which is a multi-million dollar facility to make sure that that doesn't dilute you know, the, the granular level of what we're dealing with. And I think that just follows on from what Stu and what, you know, what both Matt's have said is that, you know, on a daily basis, I'm very conscious of how do we keep, you know, um, you know how do we keep the, the rawness in, in, uh, in, in what we do in, in our athletes and our clientele? It's, it's fundamental to them. And we've got to retain that rather than diluting it with, with facility and, and, and equipment. Here again with another word from our sponsor, Zenkai Sports, the new disruptor in the performance apparel world. Zenkai uses a brand new technology that repels liquids, keeping you cooler during intense activity as the sweat evaporates naturally off your skin. This allows athletes to regulate body temperature easier and push themselves harder as we harness the power of our sweat. Sweat is our friend. Keep it on you. Zenkai Sports is also the only performance apparel company which is cotton-based. All of their gear is over 65% cotton and some pieces over 95%. Cotton is biodegradable, feels great against our skin, and is much better for our environment than synthetic-based apparel. Please go to ZenkaiSports.com for more information and for 20% off your entire order, just use the discount code LYM20. I got five minutes to sort of wrap this puppy up because we're losing Dunk and we just lost Maddie. So I'm going to go around the circle off and I'll start with you, Dunk, because I know you have a hard stop um, off of the back of what was just talked about this idea of culture. Stu talked about culture. What are your two, three, four cultural tenants of your performance environment? So what's most important for you in yours and has come, have you come to in your, in your careers that you set the tone of in your space to create the culture you want for performance? Don't oh, wow. you, you put me on the spot going yeah, first. Well, I mean, uh, I listen, yeah. I, I steal comments from, from all the, the previous guys, you know, in this, in this last hour. Um, certainly what Jeremy said in terms of outcome driven, you know, what, what are we actually trying to do? Is everyone rowing the boat in the same direction? That, that, that's, that's key. That's fundamental. Um, I'm a huge believer in kind of understanding, you know, what, what it takes to succeed in respective sports and then aligning all your services and your, and your efforts against that. Um, so, you know, a, a multidisciplinary focus is, is critical to what we do in a, in a team situation. Um, we're very driven by objectivity. I say if, you, if you're not assessing, you're guessing. Um, and it's hard to win world championships and gold medals by, by guesswork. Um, so, you know, having, having some objectivity to what we do is, is fundamental and key. And then listen, I, I, it should be fun. All right. It, it should be, you know, F, you know, fun is just another F word. Right. Um, but at the same time for the athlete, uh, within the context of training and, and the demands of, of, you know, that what we've just touched on, um, you know, it should be enjoyable, let's say. Um, the process of development and the process of coaching should be enjoyable, you know, and uh, I think I always try to cultivate environments where people have, have a sense of responsibility um, they feel like they can influence an outcome um, and, you know, they are respected for their expertise, um, but it should be an enjoyable process. And I, I, I want to create environments that are directed towards a very clear objective outcome. We monitor and we, we objectify it and we enjoy the process. Beautiful. Stu. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's something that I'm continuing to, to try to work on and, and admittedly have not been great at over the, over the years is creating a culture um, of communication. Um, the way I see it, we've got two choices and how we work together is we can fight or we can talk. And we've got to create that environment in which we can talk better, whether that's talking with the athletes that you're working with, whether it's talking with your bosses, whether it's talking with your colleagues, if that culture isn't there, then we only have one other choice, and that's fighting. And it's then 
understanding how to how to best go about creating it. Um, as I said, I haven't done a great job of it. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, but understanding that the importance of we only can get better is if we can learn and talk with each other, communicate with each other. So for me, that's that's uh, maybe that's just a my personal bias now because I see that as a weakness in my own leadership, but that's, that's where I'm currently sitting. Nice. Chair. Oh, uh, there's a lot to this <laughs> for sure. I think, uh, what, for me, one of the key things is, is that like, if, if you think about people that come together as a group, uh, whether it's a group of athletes, a group of staff and the athletes, you know, most organizations will maybe talk a little bit about values and then, and then that's where, that's where they leave it. Um, I think a better organization, uh, will talk about values and then they'll talk about the behaviors that match those values. And then they'll begin to clearly define who we are and how we work. And so then what you're getting is you're getting a mutual ownership of what performance looks like and a shared belief in that. And then you get interdependence. So the athlete understands and the coach understands and, and everyone that's there to support understands that this is an interdependent journey and that you actually require the other person to be successful as an individual and as a group. And that's when your group becomes a team. And so setting the tone for that, I think you need to be very careful with who you bring into that group. You need to be very, very, very diligent. You need to be, like we talked about earlier, you need to be looking for people who are purposely vulnerable. Is anyone that I meet that, that sees vulnerability as a weakness, they have no idea where strength comes from. No idea whatsoever because strength is growth, right? And so if someone is purposely vulnerable, that leads to humility, reflection, and that's growth. And then that creates permissions for everyone else to feel safe, to be vulnerable, to grow. And then you get this interdependent group. And so you get humility from the athlete. You get humility from all the staff involved. And then what you find is you have a culture where it's okay to talk about culture. So it's okay to debrief and say, hey, you know, when I said this, you, you shifted in your chair. Like, do you think I was going in this direction? And how did that make you feel? And you end up having these really purposeful debriefs that are not just about the method that you're talking about, that training session, but it's about communication. It's about how you're interacting. It's about how you're sharing that information and then it's it's really just this hive of growth and 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 i feel that you know you're really achieving that when somebody externally comes in and goes who's the boss here because they have no idea and you say well we don't have a boss we hold we're all each other's boss we hold each other accountable we practice contextual leadership we don't have tyrannies in here and then that's when, to me, that's when your group is truly a team. And those are the cultures that I like to be a part of. Matt. I'm assuming I'm the last remaining Matt. Yeah, Matt Jordan uh, had a deep dive. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's been some great things already stated, and I don't want to be redundant, but um, something I've tried to to uh, boil my environment down to is, is uh, kind of three P's. And I talk to my staff and, and our, our group about uh, purpose, passion, and persistence. And I think that, you know, given, given my own environment and some of the limitations we deal with, I think that we can achieve 80 or 90% of our objective through those three three P's and purpose, meaning, you know, we've got a, a good plan in place, a, a real clear objective. We know what we're getting into, whether it's a, a daily workout or, or a training block or some larger uh, block of time. Um, and I think passion is really important. I think athletes who show up and, and are enthusiastic about what they do are engaged and, and involved in the process. We, we tend to get a lot more out of that that uh, training effect as well. And then the last one is persistence. And it's, it's, uh, it's not a given in pro sport um, for different reasons, but showing up every day, showing up every workout, showing up every rep is really critical. And we don't have, um, you know, we don't always have these liberties to, to demand these things. So we have to ask for it. But 
I think between those three sort of general topics or those general P's, we, we achieve a lot of what we're trying to do. And, and that's what I think lays the foundation of our training environment. Nice. Mr. Path. Well, I'd probably echo everything that's been said, but, you know, I always start out as, you know, coach-athlete relationships has been the foundation of sport since the beginning. So I think both parties have to identify their why, like, why are we even doing this? And I endorse the enjoyable part of the journey. Not every day, every task is enjoyable, but the net at the end of the process has to be. So if the coach is a gatekeeper, then he has to define and promote communication, KPIs, debrief processes, and and things of that nature. So for for me, you know, everything everybody said here is super important, but if you don't define the why and the what, then what are we doing? That's huge. I I will add my little two cents in the back end of this. For me, I think what Dan just finished with, plus um, I start from a perspective of uh, empathy, understanding the the person across from me, what they're dealing with, um, what their objectives are. Um, I try as much as I can to understand the people I'm working with and what they their needs are. And by understanding people more, I think then to your points, Stu, you can communicate better. Um, and then you understand with greater clarity to um, Dan's point, what the objective is, what we're trying to do, why we're trying to do it. And, and then at the end of the day, I think it's putting that together and em- employing yourselves in a space where everybody feels like they are they matter, you know, that, that what they're doing matters. So your work matters, the athlete matters and scaling that into autonomy, the idea that we, we teach the athlete or the, the person working with us to make autonomous decisions and not to always have to defer to our leadership. So I, I like to create an environment where people make decisions um, to Duncan's point earlier, where um, I think we're, we're more of a, connected team. I think it was Jer actually that said it where everybody kind of plays their role and you don't really understand who's in charge. So that was really huge. Well, as usual, these kinds of conversations could go on all day, but then that was the idea of creating this, but I asked you guys for an hour and I've bumped over the hour. So I appreciate everybody's time. I hope this was as powerful for you as it has been for me. And I appreciate everybody taking the time today. Thanks Scott. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.